0: podcast. It's not a political show. It's a podcast about church culture and the culture at large, viewed through the lens of Scripture. It's the Richards Revelations podcast with Scott Richards. Here's your host, Scott Richards.
1: Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Scott Richards. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we try to live our lives just a little bit better, as we look at things through the lens of Scripture and then apply it to our life. I want to encourage you to share these podcasts with others. And if you're liking these podcasts, go ahead and hit the like icon and subscribe. If you'd like to participate in the ongoing production of this podcast, there's information below on how you can donate, if you're so inclined. Once again, I am truly thankful that you take the time to listen to these podcasts. Before we get into today's subject, I want to let you know that you can follow us on our Facebook page, Richards Revelations Podcast, and most other social media platforms, including YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and so forth, under my name, Scott Richards. If you want to make it easier, try Scott Allen Richards. Allen spelt A L A N. This week's episode of Bible Translations Examined is part one of the Passion Translation. Brian Simmons. The author, the translator, the one who wrote it, is the one who came up with the Passion Translation. And it's not in any way connected to the Passion Music. Just to be clear, it didn't come out of their ministry. This is separate and distinct by Brian Simmons. The first thing is, the Passion Translation, like last week's translation, is done by one guy. Most translations nowadays are done by committee. There's a whole group of different scholars comparing notes, double-checking one another as they make a translation. And this was just done by one guy, Brian Simmons. As I said last week, works done by single individuals often suffer from personal and theological bias. Committee translations with multiple individuals have the added benefit of accountability in weeding out anyone's individual personal theological perspective or perceived bias. In some cases, works done by a single individual distort the text, working not to be authentic to form or meaning, but rather a specific agenda by the translator. Brian Simmons is that kind of translator. He's the oversight. He's the beginning and the end of the Passion Translation. But it's not like other translations that one man translates, like Martin Luther or Wycliffe. These translations are by guys who are trained and skilled. Before we break down and get into the actual scriptures and the problems, I want to first deal with the fact that he is unqualified to even do a translation. In the promotion of this translation, and his Bible suggest he has experience in linguistic translation. He's made claims of being part of the translation of the Bible with Newtripe's Bible and Linguistic Institute, which is now Ethos 360. Ethos 360 has come out with a statement, distancing themselves from the passing translation, because he keeps making these claims as though they trained him to do it, and they said, no, we didn't. Dom Peterson of Ethos, as I said, was formerly New Tribes, said Brian is not a linguistic of any sort. The Penukuna translation was not done while he was serving with New Tribes. Brian was not what he claimed, and the New Tribes did not agree with his doctrinal positions, nor do we follow his approach to translation. Jerry Michaels, also a former co-worker at New Tribes, has been there over three decades. There the whole time from the beginning, getting their New Testament to finally years later getting their Old Testament translation done. Jerry said, Brian had not been trained in translating at all. Brian wasn't a Bible translator. That wasn't his job with the Kuna people. He was not there to translate the Bible. He was there as a church planner. Nobody in our mission would ever say that he's a Bible translator, or even was approved as a Bible translator. I would never call it, referring to the Passion, a translation. I would caution people away from it. There are many other stronger quotes from this organization about him, his time on the mission field, his doctrinal beliefs, and his translation style, and the lack of his ability. Remember, he's the one that keeps promoting himself as being trained and being working side by side with these individuals on the mission field, to translate a Bible into these people's language and the joy of seeing the expressions on these individuals' faces as the Bible was being handed over to them in their language and all these sorts of stories and things. The reality of it is Brian left that organization and the mission field in the 80s. Now, there is some gray area question about the Nature in which his departure was, there are those that believe possibly it was because he was fired. Needless to say, the translation that these other people worked on, that Brian wasn't a part of that he claims he was, wasn't published until 1995. He was long gone when this finally came to be completed. So he doesn't have any real formal training or experience in translation. Listen to his answer. In this friendly interview, when questioned about formal training, when you when you started this project, um, were you had you already had training in Greek and Hebrew, or was this something that you had to jump into again? Or
0: I had minimal background in biblical languages, so yeah, it was something that, honestly, something the Lord has really helped me with. Um, okay,
1: great. Needless to say, he does not have. Training or qualifications to translate the Bible. Someone who has fabricated his ability and training and experience in the mission field probably shouldn't be trusted in producing a Bible. Brian Simmons claims to translate with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He claims that this is an inspired translation, but he doesn't have the credentials to translate. The Passion Translation has an agenda. Behind the agenda is to push specific types of doctrines and teachings that come from the Extreme Signs and Wonders movement, from the NAR, which he's a part of. There's really weird stuff going on in putting together this translation. He says he met an angel named Passion, which is why he called it the Passion Translation. So he had an angel. He claims that God showed him secrets of the Hebrew and Greek language. So as he was translating, he got new information that was never before known about the Bible and what it means. I find that very suspicious, that an unskilled man with some sort of spiritual encounter, like Joseph Smith claimed, that he had a special knowledge, ancient languages. Bottom line, this translation hinges upon Brian Simmons. Is this guy really inspired by the Holy Spirit, or is something else going on here? Did God give him inspiration to know things that people who actually study these languages don't actually know? Did God do that for him? Or did he come up with a strange translation with motives and other results that differ from the original ancient manuscripts that just so happened to go right along with his theological perspective? Now, I want you to listen to this clip. This is where he describes the encounter that he had, where God took him, met with an angel, all those sort of things, where he was taken to heaven, to the library in heaven.
0: I was actually asleep. And I was taken out of my body and I was brought into this immense library room. I loved being there and the Lord came up to me and he said, Brian, I have brought you here, I brought you here to, to let you take any two books, books you want. You want. And, and I'm just walking around, but it didn't take long before I saw a book that I knew I was to have. And then soon I saw another book I knew I was to have, but Uh, You'll never want me back on the show when I tell you what happened then. What? Well, I have to tell you the truth. I saw a third book, and I knew the Lord told me I could only take two. And in heaven, whatever you think is put out over the loudspeaker. Everyone hears it. Your thoughts are broadcasted. So here's what I hear coming out of the loudspeaker, and it's my own thoughts. How can I steal this book? (laughs) And then I said, oh no, I'm shoplifting on God. I I felt so ashamed that I, but I knew if I could take this book, there was this book so, if I could just take this book back with me to the natural realm, it would trigger awakening in all the nations of the earth. It would bring the, it would make the name of Jesus famous on the, in the world. But Jesus came to me and said, Brian, I cannot let you take this book. And he looked at me in the eyes with love that melted me, and he said, you are not ready for that book. Then he promised, but I will will bring bring you back back one day, day, and I will give you that book. book." What was the title? Written on the cover of the book was John 22. Uh, But there's only 21 chapters in John. What's this 22? Well, John 22 Go back to John 14:12, and you'll see that there is a greater works generation. The works that I do, you will do, even greater works than these. I believe the John 22 generation will be a people that do the greater works of Jesus. They will not add to the scripture, and, and that's a sealed book, but it is a book that is unfolding, and the works of Jesus will be replicated by an entire generation of people that believe fully and the power of God.
1: Now, I think God can show you visions if he wants. But I also think people can say God showed them a vision as a way to legitimize whatever they're going to say next. And I believe that's what's happened here. And sadly, these people sit there and eat this up. And no red flags come up and go, this doesn't square with scripture at all. Of going to heaven, having an encounter with God, with Jesus, and then coming back. That's a whole other discussion. Now, let's get into the text. We're going to be looking through some of the various places in the Bible and some of the words and different things that he does and changes up to change the meaning and so forth. We'll also get into how he misrepresents the meaning of words and things in cases where he will try, again, he has no training in any of this. He will try to say, oh, a particular word has multiple meanings and that he gets to choose What meaning is going to be applied to the scripture, which totally changes what the text says, leaving out contextual understanding of even the original manuscripts as you're going through it. Even if you come to the place, and I'll discuss this later, where you maybe can't make out a word or a word, there isn't an exact duplicate of that word or whatever, you can gain from reading the whole portion of scripture what the context is, what the premise is, what God's trying to convey. To be able to come up with an acceptable word in that phrasing, but he doesn't do that. Again, he has no training. Brian Simmons likes to change up how he translates Christ. Sometimes he translates it as Christ. Sometimes it's Messiah. Sometimes he translates it as Anointed One. Anointed One is the one he uses the most, and we'll soon see why. So let's look at Colossians one, chapter one, verses one and two. We're going to start. I'm going to read the NASB, and then We'll do his translation. So each one of these that I'm going to be going through, I'll read what the actual Bible says, and then we'll read his translation. Okay, NASB says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, who were at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now the Passion Translation. My name is Paul, and I've been chosen by Jesus Christ to be an apostle by the calling and destined purpose by my colleague, Timothy. And I send this letter to all the holy believers who have been united to Jesus as beloved followers of the Messiah. My God, our true Father, release upon your lives the riches of His kind heavenly peace, the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Notice that is over twice as long, and you get Christ, Messiah, and anointed one, all from the same word, which should just be translated consistently, Christ. As we look into the Passion more, you will see why he uses the anointed one so much. We're going to look at the NASB of Acts 11.26. It says, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now in the passion translation of the same verse acts 11:26 it says together paul and barnabas ministered there for a full year this is at antioch equipping the growing church and teaching a vast number of new converts it was in antioch that the followers of jesus were first revealed as anointed ones now the passion's very clear there there is a spiritual revelation that the followers of jesus are anointed ones jesus is called anointed one, throughout the Passion. And now we're going to call you anointed one. But every other translation just translates this as the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, because that's what it actually is. The people in Antioch were making fun of the Christians. They called him Little Christ because they believed in Christ. So they called them that as an insult. But in the Passion, he first translates Jesus as Messiah, as anointed one, over and over again. And then, when it comes to this phrase in Acts, he reveals to you and me, we are anointed ones. But what's the difference between me and Jesus? By doing this, he is setting up a weird Christology that Brian Simmons actually teaches. This is one of the many ways, this is the many ways and places he rewrites his theology into the translation. Listen to this clip. Brian talks about your identity and Jesus' identity.
0: That is your identity. You are wrapped into Jesus Christ. All that He is, you now are. Everything that's true about Jesus can be spoken about you because you are in Him.
1: So did you hear that? You were wrapped into Jesus Christ. All that He is, you now are. Everything that's true about Jesus can be spoken about you. Jesus is eternally existent self-existent, and part of the Trinity. That's not true about us. This isn't even a paraphrase of the real text. This isn't made up, but it fits right into his rewrite of the Bible in this passage of Acts 11.26. In some sense, it can be said, hey, that person over there is anointed. They're operating in their gift. But what he's doing in his translation and teaching is false theology. Moving on. The word activate is never found in any translation. Zero times. NAS New King James Version, ESV, NIV, none. But in the Passion Translation, the word activate is used multiple times. An example of that is in Romans 12.6. Now let's look at the NASB first, then we'll look at the uh, Passion. NASB says, however, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly, if prophecy, in proportion to one's faith. Now the Passion Translation, Romans 12:6. So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift using using the proportion of faith you have to prophesy. He added the word activate six times in his translation because it fits his theology.
0: Every member of the body of Christ must be activated. Everyone in this room is valuable. Every one of you have gifts and every one of you must leave this course when we finish a few years from now, or a few hours from now that you leave this place activated to be enriched and to give others what you've been given.
1: So think about this. He changes the Bible. So it says you have to activate your gifts. Then he starts hosting paid courses that you can take where you can get your gifts activated. Some might think it's self-serving. Another area that's problematic is where he changes the text and inserts religious or religion. In his translation, religious is used 141 times, as opposed to all other translations where it's either used only two or four times. Now, a lot of us in the course of communicating make statements like, I'm not religious. I have a relationship with Jesus. That's a way to differentiate ourselves from services that are ritualistic and all the boring ceremonial hierarch traditions of man, or as a way to distance ourselves from cults, as well as a way to distance ourselves from the mistakes and wrongdoings in the name of religion of the past, in a way to be able to set that aside, so as to be able to engage in a conversation with someone who has not yet received Jesus Christ. As I said, we say Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. These two aren't opposite things. It's a religion with a relationship. And that's what Christianity is. The thing that makes Christianity different from all other religions is that it's true. That's the difference. But Brian Simmons takes it to the extreme and rewrites the meaning of the text to appeal to those who are anti-religion. We'll see how he changes the text to phrase something as religious scholars so that people have a negative view of biblical scholars. Brian Simmons is intentionally not translating the Bible right he is sticking into the text his modern version of Christianity he's purposely translating wrong because he wants to vilify the concept of religion and trained scholars he takes the concept of religion and religious and changes the term scribes in mark 12:38 he retranslates it as religious scholars the scribes make up a group of individuals who enjoyed the authority of leadership in Israel. They are associated with the Pharisees and high priest as opponents of Jesus. Now let's read the NASB of Mark 1238. It says, And in his teaching he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like personal greetings in the marketplace. Now in the Passion of Mark 38, Jesus also taught the people beware of the Religious scholars they love to parade around in their clergy robes and be greeted with respect in the street in matthew twenty three thirteen but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering go in now in the passion translation, it says, "Great sorrow awaits you, religious scholars, and you Pharisees, such frauds and pretenders." And he goes on from there that's only part of it because when it comes to the other places where religion is in the text Brian decides that he's not going to translate it as religion now there's a place where they do translate the word religious or religion as I said like two to four times not 141 times like Brian does James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 is one place where most translators will have the word religion that's also the one place where Brian decides that he's going to not translate it as religion. Here's the NASB. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion, in the sight of our God and Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In the Passion Translation, you will notice he doesn't want to use the word religion in any positive sense. He wants to vilify religion so that he can use that as a tool against people. Okay, here's the Passion Translations of James 1, 26 and 27. If someone believes they have a relationship with God but fails to guard his words, then his heart is drifting away and his religion is shallow and empty. True spirituality is pure in the eyes of our Father God To make a difference in the lives of orphans and widows and their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. Take a look at these words, relationship with God, religion, and spirituality. Those are three phrases that in every other translation are translated consistently because you're supposed to translate the same word in the same context in the same ways. However they translate the first time they see this word is the way they translate it later. But the problem here for Brian is, in verse 27, makes it sound like there's such a thing as a pure religion. Like religion that honors God and glorifies God, which there is. It's called Christianity. But he doesn't like religion, so that gets eliminated as part of his thing. Okay, so now we're going to look at the word passion. In the passion translation, the word passion is used 105 times. In the NASB, it's 10. Others' translations have it fewer. The word miracle, 126 times. Other translations have it from 7 to 25 times. The word supernatural doesn't show up in any translation but the passion. And it's done 37 times. It fits its theology. Now remember what we're talking about here. This isn't just another book someone wrote that they fill with their theological persuasion. This is being presented as a translation of the Bible. Something that you are to go into as a linguistic translator desiring to see what the actual text says in its original Hebrew and Greek, then translated into English in the purest form, apart from any bias or theological persuasion you come from. This is not what he has done. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I want to encourage you to come back next week for part two of the examination of the Passion Translation. We're going to look at where he tries to dig out words that aren't there suggesting they have multiple meanings and spiritual secrets that he has the right to determine and interchange those which fit his theological persuasion. Well, that's going to do it for today. I want to thank you for your continued support when you listen to these podcasts. I know a lot of us live busy lives and the fact that you spend some of it with me, I am truly grateful and I appreciate it. So thank you for spending some time with me. Until next time, God bless you.